Well, now we turn to this morning's scripture reading. In today's scripture reading, we're going to hear again from the Old Testament book of Lamentations. Listen for the voice of God as our friend Eli shares this morning's scripture reading with us. Lamentations 2, I mean 111. All her people groan as they search for bread. They barter their treasures for food to keep themselves alive. Look, O Lord, and consider it, for I am despised. For the word of the God, for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the news this week, there was a story about a school that had to make a difficult and heartbreaking decision. The school was Mills College. Mills College is located way out in Oakland, California. It's a women's school that was founded in 1852. In the nearly 170 year history of Mills College, the school has got a lot of achievements and accomplishments and things to be proud of. Mills College is proud of the fact that they were the first women's college to offer computer science as a major. And they're proud that they were the first women's college to accept transgender students. A lot of notable people and famous celebrities have gone to Mills College. The actress Olivia de Havilland went to Mills. So did the film director, Sofia Coppola. Mills College has got a long history and a lot of achievements and accomplishments and things to be proud of. But of all the things they're proud of, maybe the thing they're proudest of, maybe the greatest treasure among all of their treasures, is their 1623 first folio edition of the plays of William Shakespeare. Now, the 1623 first folio edition of the plays of William Shakespeare is one of the most valuable and sought after books in all the world. Now, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. During William Shakespeare's life, nobody actually gathered all of his plays together into one book. In fact, during his lifetime, most of the plays of William Shakespeare weren't even published at all. It was only a few years after his death that a couple of William Shakespeare's friends said, you know, maybe somebody ought to collect all of his plays together so they're not lost to history forever. And so a few years after William Shakespeare died, a couple of his friends put together a book, a folio, a collection of the complete plays of William Shakespeare. There are 32 plays collected in the first folio. And of those 32 plays, 16 had never been published at all. If not for the first folio, half of the plays of William Shakespeare would have been lost forever. We never would have read Macbeth. We never would have performed The Tempest. We never would have had to study Julius Caesar in high school. Phrases and expressions like one fell swoop and the be all and end all never would have entered into the English language. The first folio was one of the most influential books ever published. It changed and shaped the English language and it changed and shaped the plays that we perform and the stories we tell and even our movies and television right up to this day. And a complete edition, a complete copy of the first folio of the plays of William Shakespeare is an incredibly rare book. There are only 235 copies of the first folio known to be in existence in the world today. And of those 235 copies, most have got sections missing. There's a copy in Spain that is missing one whole play that got ripped out because it offended the people who were in charge of the Spanish Inquisition. The first folio, a complete edition of the first folio works of William Shakespeare with no pages missing is one of the most sought after and valuable books in all of the world. And so it's no surprise that Mills College was proud to have one in their library. 
It was a book that students and professors could study and handle and use in their research, a piece of history that students and people at the college could actually lay their hands on, a way of connecting with the past and, and with the people who came before us. And that's why it was so surprising. That's why it was so heartbreaking this week to hear that Mills College had decided to sell their first folio edition of the plays of William Shakespeare. Now they had to make that decision because of financial reasons. Mills College was in financial trouble before the pandemic started. The pandemic just made a, a bad situation even worse. And after they had made all of the cuts that they could, after they had even laid off several tenured professors, finally, finally the administration at Mills College had to make a desperate decision they decided to auction off their school's greatest treasure. Now this week, the first folio edition that belongs to Mills College went under the hammer. It was auctioned off for almost $10 million. It set a record as the most expensive piece of literature ever sold at auction. And that $10 million is going to help Mills College get through this difficult financial time. It'll help them survive until the next year. But that windfall of money comes at a terrible cost to the college. Future generations of students and professors won't be able to handle the book or use it in their research. And people who have treasures that they're looking to donate will think twice about giving those treasures to Mills College, a school that has already proven it's willing to auction off one of the most valuable works of literature ever, ever collected. This decision that Mills College had to make this week is emblematic, representative of the kinds of decisions that people and families and institutions are making all around us right now, every day. Desperate decisions that people are making just to survive another day. All this month in our sermon series, The Valley of Shadows, we're talking about the things that we've lost. We're naming the pain and the grief that we've experienced over the last six months of this pandemic. We're taking the time to mourn the things that have happened in the year 2020 because we believe that naming our pain and feeling sadness and experiencing grief is often the first step towards healing and wholeness. And this week we recognize that some of the deepest pain that we've felt in the last six months has been financial pain. And some of the most acute losses that we've experienced in the last six months have been economic losses. We're living in a moment of economic crisis when people and families and institutions are having to make difficult decisions each day, which treasures to hold on to and which treasures to let go of. We're living in a moment when employers are having to make difficult decisions each day about who to hold on to and who to let go of. In the last few months, tens of millions of people have lost their jobs. Millions of people have lost not only their jobs, but also the health care that was provided by their employers. We're surrounded by people who are feeling economic pressure and the pain of financial loss. And every one of those financial losses is sending ripples of grief through our lives and through our community. Now, whenever I meet with a couple for premarital counseling, whenever a couple sit down in my office and tell me, Pastor Jeremy, we want to get married, one of the things that we spend the most time talking about before I ever let a couple walk down the aisle and tie the knot is money 
and finances and budgets and debts. Sometimes couples are surprised that we spend so much time in premarital counseling talking about money and finances. And I tell them, listen, if your finances are in order, everything else in life will just be that much easier. But if your finances are a mess, then that financial stress is gonna put pressure on every other part of your lives, including your marriage, including your relationship. Right now, we are surrounded by people who are feeling financial pressure and economic pain. Now, this week, I wanted to find out what the pandemic and what this financial crisis is doing to our neighbors and our community. So I reached out to our friends at Crossover Downtown Outreach Ministry. Now, Crossover is one of Court Street United Methodist Church's ministry partners. Crossover serves people in our neighborhood by making sure that they have access to food and clothing and furniture. And I figured if anybody would know how the financial crisis is, is affecting people in our neighborhood, it would be our friends over at Crossover. So I reached out and I talked to the development director at Crossover, Elizabeth Hamilton. I asked her, what are you seeing at Crossover? What do you know about what's happening in our community and our neighborhood right now? And Elizabeth said, if you want to understand what's happening in our community, all you have to do is come to one of our mobile food pantry events and talk to the people who show up looking for food. She said at the last event that we had just a couple days ago, I talked to a couple women who, who were willing to share their stories with me and, and who were willing to share with me the fact that they had never come to a mobile food pantry before, that this was the first time in their lives that they had had, had to seek help finding a way to put food on the table. She said, the first woman I talked to had, had lost her job because of the pandemic. And this is a woman who has always been employed, a woman who has never had trouble putting food on the table. Now this woman drives around Flint looking for food pantries and food giveaways, just trying to put something in the cupboards, just trying to survive another day. She said, I talked to another woman who was a grandmother. Her grandchildren are living with her. Now, the children's parents have both had COVID and they've both had health complications because of COVID. And while they're recovering and healing and, and experiencing those health complications, the grandchildren are staying with their grandmother. And this, this grandmother now with so many extra mouths to feed is having a hard time finding enough food to, to keep every belly full. And so now for the first time in her life, she's looking for food pantries and food giveaways. We are surrounded by people who are having to do things they've never done. People who are having to make difficult and desperate decisions. People who are doing what they can just, just to get to tomorrow, just to survive another day. In some ways, we're living through a time very much like the time that the prophet Jeremiah experienced. Each week in this sermon series, we're hearing from this strange little book tucked away in the middle of the Old Testament, the Book of Lamentations. Now, tradition tells us that the book of Lamentations was written by the prophet Jeremiah in a moment of crisis and national disaster. Tradition tells us that just after the mighty Babylonian army had invaded and burned and reduced the city of Jerusalem to so much rubble, the prophet Jeremiah walked the streets of the city. He surveyed everything, all the disaster and ruin that had come to his city and his neighbors. And in that moment of grief and loss and pain, he grabbed a pen and he wrote five poems, five laments, five, five expressions, lists of things that had been lost and destroyed in the invasion. Now, just about a year ago, last August, a team of archaeologists who were digging in the city of Jerusalem made a discovery that helps us to understand just how profound the pain of that moment was. 
Last summer, a team of archaeologists from North Carolina were excavating in the part of the city of Jerusalem called Mount Zion when they came across a, a layer of artifacts that told a story. In that layer of earth, they found piles and deposits of ash. And among those piles and deposits of ash, they found a scattering of arrowheads. And in among the ash and the arrowheads, they found lots of little bits of broken pottery. And there with the ash and the arrowheads and the pottery, they found one thing that they were incredibly excited about that nobody had expected to find. They found a single earring, one piece of jewelry, an earring made of silver and gold. Now they determined that this layer of earth came from the time of the prophet Jeremiah. These artifacts are what was left of the city of Jerusalem after the Babylonian army invaded. And they tell a story of what happened in those days. The piles and deposits of ash are what was left of the homes of the people of Jerusalem after the Babylonians burned the city to the ground. And the arrowheads told the story of a, an army that marched through the streets of the city, murdering men and women and children alike. The pottery told us how complete was the devastation and violence that the Babylonians brought to the city of Jerusalem that day. And the earring, the single earring, spoke of the wealth that existed in the city of Jerusalem before the Babylonians came. And the Old Testament of the Bible tells us that before the Babylonians came, the city of Jerusalem was a prosperous city that had many wealthy people. There were people in the city of Jerusalem who lived in palaces, who wore fancy clothes, who, who owned and wore intricate jewelry made of silver and gold. Now, the Bible tells us that before the Babylonians came, there was great wealth in the city of Jerusalem. In fact, the Old Testament prophets, including the prophet Jeremiah, believed that that wealth was one of the reasons that God allowed the city to be destroyed in the first place. The Old Testament prophets tell us that God was troubled by the inequality that God saw when God looked at the city of Jerusalem, that there were people living in palaces and wearing fine jewelry when there were other people who had no place at all to live and couldn't put enough food on the table to feed their hungry bellies. This injustice, this inequality caused God to remove the hand of protection from the city of Jerusalem, that it might be destroyed by the Babylonian army. The Bible talks about the great wealth that existed in the city of Jerusalem in the time of the prophet Jeremiah. But in all of the decades, in all of the hundreds of years that archaeologists have been digging holes, making excavations in the city of Jerusalem, not once in all of those decades, not once in all of those centuries, has any archaeologist discovered a single piece of treasure that comes from the time before the Babylonian invasion a time before the city was reduced to rubble and ruins. In all of the decades of archeologists excavating the city of Jerusalem, they've never found so much as one piece of jewelry, not one gold coin, not one indication of the wealth that existed in the city. Every treasure of the city was lost in that moment of invasion. Where did all the treasures, where did all the wealth of the city of Jerusalem go? A lot of it was carried away by the Babylonian invaders. That's what invaders do. They loot and they pillage and they plunder. And the prophet Jeremiah tells us what happened to the treasures that were left when the Babylonians had finished their plundering. In his poem this week, the prophet Jeremiah talks about people who wandered the streets of the city of Jerusalem, groaning and searching for bread. 
He tells us that there were people in the city in that day who traded great treasures just for a handful of something, anything to eat. In that moment in time, people made desperate decisions. They gave away great treasures. They did what they had to do just to survive another day. We are living again in a moment when people are making desperate decisions, parting with great treasures, doing what they have to do just to survive and make it another day. That economic pain has affected our community, it's affected our neighbors, it's even affected members of our own church family. Each week during this sermon series, we're, we're taking a page out of the book of the prophet Jeremiah, a page out of the book of Lamentations. We're, we're following in his footsteps as each week we express our grief and our pain in the form of a poem. Each week during this sermon series, we're inviting a member of our church family to, to write a poem that talks about the things that we have lost and experienced, the grief that we've felt in the last six months. This morning, we've invited our friend Ignacio to share a poem with our church family. Ignacio and his husband, Blake, and their children have been affected by the financial disaster that we're experiencing right now, by the economic crisis that is happening all around us. Now, before the pandemic came, Ignacio and Blake's main source of income was a dance studio that is owned and operated by Blake. And you can imagine that not a lot of dancing has happened at the dance studio in the last few months. The doors have been closed. Nobody right now is signing up for ballroom dancing lessons. Nobody wants to gather in a room with strangers and learn how to dance cheek to cheek right now. And so in his poem, in this poem that Ignacio wrote in the style of the prophet Jeremiah, you're gonna hear him describe some of the financial pressure and loss that they've experienced in the last few months, the losses that are economic, but also just the loss of dancing and joy that has trickled out of their lives because of this pandemic that's happening to us. As I read this poem, Ignacio asked if I would read the poem, so I'm going to, to read his poem today. As I read this poem though, you're gonna hear something else as well. You're gonna hear something that you might not expect to hear. You're going to hear a a message of thanksgiving and even hope. Now in his poem, Ignacio shares with us a deep wisdom that he's learned in the last few months. He's going to talk about how in, in moments like this, when we're forced to make difficult and desperate decisions, sometimes God gives us the gift of a sort of clarity as we discover which treasures are truly treasures and which treasures are worth hanging on to even when we let go of everything else. And Ignacio in his poem is going to talk about how in moments like this, sometimes we grow stronger in our faith and we feel closer to God because sometimes when we walk through the valley of shadows, we discover that God's grace is unbreakable, God's grace is deep, God's grace follows us wherever we go. In moments like this, we discover that no matter what our employment status, no matter what our financial situation, no matter how much money we have or don't have in the bank, God's love follows us. God's love surrounds us. God's love remains. And God's love sustains.
A house was our home. Bedrooms were our refuge. Converted now into prisons due to a virus. Economic devastation found its way into our sanctuary. God is my hope. He is a good and mighty God. I pray to God for mercy on each and every one of us. Jesus is the light, kindness and comfort in a cold, dark night. Love of God, bring this night to an end. Many things I have missed. Now I see how important it is to open my arms and share a friend's kiss, preparing to dance, hand to hand, cheek to cheek. Quiches, birthday cakes, and long goodbyes. Right now I realize how significant the little things are. Soon all of this should pass, and I'm taking a moment to lament what I've lost. Unforgettable lessons I have been taught. Vowing to appreciate everyone and all I've got. <laughs>